the beautiful thing about this is that that God has promised us that He can fulfill every area of our life that needs to be filled. It has been a long time. It has been a long time. Dream of David to build a temple, a temple for God. One day the Bible tells us that David got up and he was walking in his palace and he's thinking, man, this house is beautiful. The doors are, are amazingly crafted. The, the floors, the walls, the marble is great. But the house of my Lord is just a tent. This can't happen. This is not right. So David began to plan, to design, to talk to experts. And he crafted a plan to build a temple for God. When he came with the idea, you know, excited, he came to, to God in prayer and he said, Lord, I have a plan, I, a plan for you. I want to build a new house for you. Now, oftentimes we come to God with ideas, with our plans, with our goals, and we expect, but God, this is for you. We expect his blessing. We expect his, his seal of approval. Yeah, go ahead, do it. But the words that David heard from God were, David, well, you've killed too many people. You can't do this. Can you imagine the feeling of emptiness in the heart of David? So God says, David, don't worry about it. You're not going to build it, but your son is. Why don't we go to the story. Let's open our notes or our Bibles to the second book of Chronicles. Chapter 7, verse 1 and 2. The dream of David, his dream of building a temple, now is being fulfilled. Now it's not longer a dream anymore. For years, Solomon had worked with the specialty uh, experts on craftsmanship and building and, and the design was just like David had planned it. The, the temple was beautiful. In fact, it was ten times bigger than the tent. Funny thing is that nobody know, knows it as the temple of David. They know it as the temple of Solomon. But let's read the text. 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 1 and 2. When Solomon finished praying, fire flashed down from heaven. It was like God was taking a selfie in his new house. And burn up the burnt offerings and sacrifices. And the glorious presence of the Lord filled the temple. The glorious presence of the Lord filled the temple. If there's an idea that we need to learn this morning, family, is that it doesn't matter what we do, how we do it, how long it takes us, or how much. Without the presence of God, it doesn't mean a thing. It has been seven years of building this temple. The gold, the time, the materials, the experts, all of it cost a lot of money, a lot of time, a lot of effort. But without the presence of God, it would have meant nothing. Family, I want to tell you this year, this first Sabbath of the year, that whatever we do this year, 
It's not going to mean a thing if God is not in it. Verse 2, the priest could not enter the temple of the Lord because the glorious presence of the Lord filled it. Can you imagine? We don't know exactly how the presence of God filled the temple. We know that the first temple had a place for God. If you remember the old temple, the tabernacle, the tent of the covenant was divided in two parts. The first part as people enter was known as a holy place, the, the Kodesh. And this was the place where the priests ministered every single day. And it was divided, these two places were divided by the veil on which the blood of the sacrifice was to sprinkle, sprinkle, not sprinkle, sprinkled. I guess I want Pringles. I don't know. But sprinkled on the veil. And, and the blood accumulated until the day that it was cleansed on the day of atonement. Now behind the veil, we find the place that is called the most holy. Or the Kodesh Kodashim. And this place housed the Ark of the Covenant. And on top of it, on the mercy seat, between those two angels facing each other was called the Shekinah, the glory of God. And whatever God's presence was leading them rested on the mercy seat. It was the presence of God that led them to the places where they had to move the camp. Can you imagine the presence of God moving and you following? But now the temple is different because the temple is not going to be moved anymore. Now the temple is fixed. But because the temple is fixed, it doesn't mean that the presence of God is not going to move. In fact, it moved the priests so much that they could not go into the place that they were supposed to work at. Because the presence of God was there. Can you imagine one morning going to your office, going to your workplace, and God's presence is there? Now, we talked about a couple of weeks ago of two reactions when we encounter the presence of God. One is fear, and the other one is worship. Let's see what happened in the story. Verse 2, the priest could not enter the temple of the Lord because the glorious presence of the Lord filled it. Filled it. Now, this word, before we move on, let's talk about this, fill. See, in Hebrew is the word male. Can you say male? Male. And male has a, the connotation of, you know that saying, the, the, the drop that spilled the cup? You've heard that before? No? Or maybe I just made it up? Now you heard it, all of you. Now, see, it, it is the drop that, 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 that filled the cup. It is what was needed to, to come to the edge. That male did it. Or, or I'll give you another one. I'll, leave, I'll give you another one. Maybe you're more related to this. Have you ever built a puzzle? One of those puzzles that you put on your table and, and they're about 500 pieces or 5,000. Depends on your patience. And, and as you're building it and you come to a time when all the pieces look alike and you're like getting frustrated because you don't know which one comes next. But then at the end when everything is coming into form, you get the last piece and you place it in the correct place 
Now the puzzle is complete. How do you feel? Well, that is malay. That is malay. The experience that whatever was missing now is there. Or maybe it's the last sentence of your essay that you have to turn in at the end of the semester. When you finally hit the control P to print it. How do you feel? That is malay. That is exactly the experience that the people of Israel felt when the presence of God came on the completed temple. It was completed, the building was done, but it was not Malay until the presence of God came into the temple. The, the curious thing about this is that Malay always work in the third person. Because see, nobody can give you Malay. Nobody can complete Malay. It's not a person. It's not a thing. The only one that can do it is God. Now a question, and this is the question for all of us this morning. How can we experience Malay in our days today? Because see, the temple functions have changed. See, back then people did not worship in the temple. They didn't come, they didn't come into the temple to sing and to, and to read the Bible and to listen to a message like we do now. Things were different. So the temple needs and experiences changed. Now we worship in a place like this. It's not divided in the same way. It does not carry the same functions because we don't need a sacrifice anymore. Jesus has done it already. So how can we fulfill, how can we experience that malay in our lives today? I have a couple of suggestions for you. The first one. Is that the house is full when I understand my place. Let's go to verse 3. When all the people, how many? Yeah, I'm just checking to see if you're awake on the first Sabbath of the year. When all the people of Israel saw the fire coming down and the glorious presence of the Lord filling the temple, they, pay attention to this, they fell face down on the ground and worshipped and praised the Lord. Now, you see, they did not fear. They worshipped, saying, He is God. His faithful love endures forever. Now, let me tell you something, family, so we understand why this is so important. Had the presence of God not be so evident at that particular place and that particular event at that particular time, Solomon and the people would have been so happy that they completed the temple that instead of worshiping God without his presence, they would have worshiped themselves because of what they had just accomplished. Are you reading this morning? So now when we understand my, our place, when I understand my place before God, I know that he is the one that deserves the worship. It isn't me. It is not because of what I've done or what I've deserved. It is Him. And it is because of Him. There is nothing that I can do for God to love me more and there's nothing so bad that I can do for Him to love me less because everything He does is because He is love. So when I understand my place, the house becomes filled. Verse 4. 
Then the king and all the people offered sacrifices to the Lord. Notice that they didn't offer people. They offered animals. Now, this sacrifice thing, again, it's a little different than it is in our days. Because we don't come to church with a little goat to be sacrificed. We don't do that anymore, thank God. Some people sacrifice goats in a different way. But the sacrifice is still needed. The question is, what is the thing that I need to sacrifice? Let me suggest something to you. The greatest sacrifice that we can bring to God when we come to his house is our ego. Verse 5. King Solomon offered a sacrifice of 22,000 cattle and 120,000 sheep and goats. And so the king and all the people dedicated the temple of God. I don't know if you ever bought meat. But I have the wild idea that 22,000 cattle is a lot of money. 120 sheep, that's a lot of money. This was not just a sacrifice by killing an animal. It was a sacrifice that was costly, financially. A lot of work too. Killing all those animals all the time. So this is the question that I have for you this morning. What, what are you willing to sacrifice today so that the house can be full? The second thing that I learned about this passage is that it is a full house when I do my part. Verse 6, the priests took their assigned positions. Now, this is quite interesting. The priests took their assigned positions. That means that every one of those priests there at the celebration of the dedication of the temple knew what they had to do. All of them had a position to play. And so did the Levites who were singing. So the, there's a priest and there's a Levite. Now this is quite interesting because see, you could only be a priest if you were a Levite. But there were not all the Levites were priests. Kind of confusing, but... Everyone had an assignment. Some of those Levites were priests and some Levites who were not priests, they were the musicians. Why do we know this? Those Levites who were singing, His faithful love endures forever. I don't know if that's the title of the song or what they were singing, but we know that they had a message. His faithful love endures forever. Notice that the song was not about them. The song was not what they, about what they had just completed. The song was about God and His works and His character. And then he says, They accompanied the singing with music from the instruments King David had made for praising the Lord. Think about this for a second. 
I've read a while ago that, that, that there's a kind of violin, Stradivarius. You've heard of those? These violins go for up to a half a million dollars. There's some more, I mean, less expensive that they only cost $100,000. These violins are, are, are the best in the world. Can you imagine being a Levite, playing a harp that King David made? The one who wrote the Psalms made this instrument? I'm not a musician by any stretch of the imagination. I ring the doorbell and goes out of tune. But I know one thing. That when I do my part, when I do my part, God fills the house. The priests did their part. The Levites did their part. And even David, ahead of time, did his part. Everything was ready and planned for that moment. The beautiful thing about this family is that none of us here, none of us, is an accident. And let me tell you something. There might be unwanted children, but there's never an unplanned birth. For everyone, for everyone who's ever lived on this earth, God, God planned it. God planned that birth. Because God had a purpose for that individual. There is a reason for the existence of everyone and each person who's lived on this planet. The challenge is that I need to find my place. I need to find where in the celebration of God I fit. See, oftentimes we go around life thinking, okay, I got to find a way in which I'm going to make money. The place where I'm going to make a living. How am I going to live? The funny thing is this, that God has promised that He is going to fulfill that need crazy. God in the Bible never asked us, never told us, never indicated. It is not a commandment that says, you better look how you're going to make a living. Not one text. But there's hundreds of texts that say that God has a purpose for our life. So my challenge in life is to find my place. Because when I find my place in the orchestra of God, God is going to fill the house. My heart is going to be full. There's going to be satisfaction and joy. And there's going to be an experience of worship because I know that what I'm doing is what God asked me to do. You know, I, I love computers. I love computers. I, I'm a techie guy. I love technology. In fact, over the years, I've spent more money on tech than I wish I ever had. Because the crazy thing about technology is this. Once you buy it, it's already obsolete. 
So there was a time when I was into computers so much that I, actu I was actually studying computer information systems. But then, at the church where I grew up, uh, the pastor asked me to preach. My first reaction was, nah, I, I, I don't do that. I play volleyball and I do computers. He said, try it. I'll help you. So I did. As soon as I got to the pulpit, my back began to sweat. My forehead was drenched. I could sense that there was something going on down my arms under my suit. I was so nervous. I was speaking with a vibrato. I preached that and I, I figured, okay, I'm done. That's it. It was so awful, he's never going to ask me to do it again. About three months later, he asked me again. And I said, no, I, I suffered enough already once. Well, this happened for a period of about two years. One summer, one summer, I was preaching. And he said, you know, uh, 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 when I preached, uh, we were out the door and, you know, like we do here, the pastor goes outside and shakes the hand of the people, gives a blessing, happy Sabbath. And we were doing that. And the pastor said, you know, why don't you study theology? And I'm like, no. No. You know, I'm about to finish my computer systems programs. I want to work for the city of Pasadena. I was working for them already. I don't need to go study. In fact, Paola, you know Paola, at least some of you know her. You know, I, I, we're serious, so I don't need to go anywhere else. He said, think about it. So that Sabbath ended after socials, you know, got home, and I'm laying on my bed and looking at the ceiling and thinking, Pastor Bikini, that sounds funny. <laughs> you know? But see, what happened was that God opened doors in ways that I never thought he would. I got a scholarship that I didn't even apply for. Make the story short. Well, I'm not going to make it short yet. Uh, when I get to, to the school, I, I decided, well, uh, I'm going to go to a place far away. So nobody knows. If I don't like it, I come back. Nobody knew. In fact, classes would start on Tuesday. I got there the Thursday before. I figure if I don't like it by Sunday, I'm back. No trace. When I get to the dorm and the uh, University of Montemorelos in Mexico, the room and the dorm had five beds, six lockers, not closets, lockers, and eight drawers. So when I get there, the dean and, and the dorm told me, well, you're the first one to get here in the room, so choose a bed. And I chose a bed, and I, made the, I did the math, you know, five beds, six lockers. I said, well, you're the first one, so choose two. I got two and two drawers, so I put my stuff in. Now, I don't know if you know this, but I'm an only child. 
in my room, there was one bed. Now there's four more. When I got to the room, I was the first one. The next couple hours on that Thursday when I got there, my first roommate arrived. And he was a blessing. He was a blessing because he was a third-year student of theology and he knew the ropes. He showed me around and he helped me so much the next day. He, I, I think he was a godsend. I got my classes by, the, by lunch the next day. I was set. The next night, the next one arrived. And Sunday morning, the fourth one. Now, I, I don't know if you're noticing what I'm trying to tell you, but when I got there, I got used to one, and then the next one got there. And when I got used to two, the next one got there. And then when I got used to that one, the last one came two weeks later because he was colporting. And uh, when he came back, we were already a week and a half into classes, so it was easy to get adjusted to him. Had it been the other way around, that I had gone to that room with four people in it, I would have said, forget it. I'm leaving. Now I'm going to make the story short. My last year, when I came back from school that summer, a doctor approached me and said, you know, I'm going to pay for your whole year of school. I want you to focus just on your classes. Now, I still like computers, but there's nothing, nothing that makes me happier than to teach the Word of God. I'm still figuring out about my place, but every step that I take closer to it, God fills my heart. So when people call me Pastor Pakini now, it doesn't sound funny anymore. I think... That that is what God planted for me way before I was born. And I'm sure that he has something for you. If you're not yet realized it, that when you find it, you will feel the same joy. Because that is the promise of God. The next thing I want to share with you is that the house is full. The house is full when I seek change. When I seek change. Verse 10. Then at the end of the celebration, Solomon sent the people home. They were all joyful and glad because the Lord had been so good. So David and Solomon, and, and to, his, um, to David and to Solomon and to his people. Now, this is a new experience. Now people are going home after seeing and experiencing the presence of God in a brand new temple. This is all new for everyone. This is a brand new experience. They realized one thing. Their life was not going to be the same anymore. Because they had reached a spiritual high that they never had before. Verse 11. So Solomon finished the temple of the Lord as well as the royal palace. He completed everything he had planned to do in the construction of the temple and the palace. He completed what? Everything. Now... One of the greatest desires that we have as humans is to get better at something. Get better at something. If you like sports, you want to get better at the sport you play. If you're a musician, you want to get better at, the, at your 
instrument or voice or whatever you do. And it happens in every area of life. In the courthouse, in the schoolhouse, in the house. Whatever you do, you want to get better. Because none of us like to enjoy mediocrity. We want to get better. That's an, a desire. The thing about this is that to get better at something requires change. And let me tell you why. If you do the same things that you've always done, you'll never get better. You'll remain the same. And you know, you know the definition of, of insanity. Doing the same thing over and over and expecting new results, different results. That is insanity. So in order to, to, to get better, you need to change. The difficult part about this is that we hate change. We don't like to change. Because of one simple thing. We love comfort. We like the way we are. We don't like to stay like that, but we like it. Go figure. So what God is saying, see, and you know this, it's not called a Christian sit-down. It's called a Christian walk. It's a constant movement. Anybody who stays the same way, let's go into science. In biology, in medicine, it is believed that when a body ceases to grow, begins to what? To die. When the cells do not regenerate anymore, when there's no more change, the body begins to die. The same thing happens with the soul. When we don't experience a constant growth and change, slowly we begin to die. So that means, family, that for us to become full, we need to seek change. Now, notice what it says. Where am I? Ah, here. Verse 11. So Solomon finished the temple. What did Solomon have to do to finish? Na, 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 na. What did Solomon have to do to finish? I think you ate too much over the holidays. What Solomon needed to do to finish was that he needed to start. If Solomon had not started, he would have never finished. In fact, Paul says it like this in Philippians. He who began the work will complete it. So in order for the work to be completed, it needed to have a beginning. It is no wonder that the first book of the Bible is called a Genesis, a beginning, a start. So what we need to do to seek change is to start. This is a picture that you well know. Because see, 
the experience for the disciples had already changed. Jesus, who had been with them for three and a half years, now he had been crucified. The women come to the house and they say, he's alive. But in the house, there's Thomas. And you know his nickname. That has become his last name. Now, Thomas doubts. And he says, I won't believe until I touch the wounds in his hands and on his side. And then when he looks, along with all the other disciples, who's in the house? Jesus. Can you imagine that moment? Jesus with a smile. Hey, Thomas. Check it out. Touch. Touch. If you ever read the story in the Bible, it doesn't say that Thomas believed just by looking. It says that Thomas touched. When our senses are stimulated, by definition, that is called an experience. Thomas experienced something that he had never experienced before. But that was the end of his unbelief and the beginning of his belief. In other words, what happened in Thomas's head and life was that he experienced a change of perspective. A change of perspective. When somebody tells us that we can do something different and better, the first thought that comes to our head is, no, I can't. Because we're looking at it from where we are at that particular moment. And at that particular moment, we are who we are and we do the things that we do. So something different, no, we can't. What we need to experience is a change of perspective, a new experience. Now, the disciples after this... In fact, in John 20, 20 says, and he spoke, it's not in your notes, by the way, but John 20, 20 says, and he spoke, Jesus, he showed them the wounds in his hands and his side. They were filled with joy when they saw the Lord. They were filled with joy. Remember, before that joy, how were they? What were they experiencing? Sadness. They were mourning the death of Jesus. But now that they have a new experience, their heart is filled with joy because Jesus filled their hearts. I don't know how long it's been since you seek change in your life. But the only thing that I can tell you today is that deep inside you, the seed that God planted a long time ago is still waiting to grow. And to become a fruitful tree. And today could be the day to let that seed germinate and to grow. But your perspective needs to start a change. How? Fourth, the house is filled when I pray sincerely. Verse 12, then one night 
the Lord appeared to Solomon and said, I have heard your prayer. Now, now, this is amazing. This is amazing. Because see, we know that Solomon, wasn't, he was a spiritual guy. We, we haven't read anywhere else in the Bible that Solomon was a gifted musician like his father. Or that he was a warrior like his father. Or that he was a shepherd like his father. We don't know of any crafts that Solomon excelled at. We don't know. In fact, he didn't even know himself. When he got the news that he was going to be the next king, he worried about that because, of course, he's thinking, well, I got to fill my dad's shoes. Very big. He killed giants. I've been in the library my whole life. But we know one thing that Solomon did. And is that Solomon prayed. Solomon prayed. And he prayed in such a way that God answered his prayers. Let's be honest, family. This past year, we prayed a lot of prayers. A lot of prayers. And a lot of those prayers, we didn't mean them. I'll give you an example. Oftentimes our prayers, when we are before our plates at dinner, our prayers have been exactly the same. Day after day. In fact, if we put a number to that prayer, like number three for dinner and one for breakfast and two for lunch, they're so repetitive that we could go, God, number three, you know it. Because we don't mean it. And because we don't mean it, they're just repetitive, they're not sincere. So we cannot expect God to answer those prayers that we don't mean. But... Solomon prayed specifically for things. In fact, when he got the news that he was going to be the next king, he prayed for, you know what? Wisdom. Wisdom. He prayed for wisdom to know what to do, to do the right thing. And the Bible tells us that God came to him and said, Solomon, I've heard your prayer. And it's granted. He prayed in the good times and in the bad times. And he prayed always in the moments that he didn't know what to do. That means that he prayed to make good choices. Can you imagine last year if we had prayed before making decisions? How much different that last year would have been? Or pray sincerely? Specifically? Now, it is quite interesting because he says... Verse 14. This is the way God answers Solomon's prayer. Then, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, check this out. If they know their place, if they know their place, and pray and seek my face to do my will, and turn from their wicked, wicked ways, change their experience, I will hear from heaven. Who's talking here, by the way? Okay, this half had it. Who's praying? Who's talking here? God. I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and restore their land. Exactly the things that we just learned. Family, I think that God could do miracles in our church this year. But we have to do these four things. 
there's no other way that God is going to work in, in our church. And I still, I'm still praying for a thousand members. Maybe some of you already forgot, but I'm praying for a thousand members. But it won't happen unless God fills the house. We went to, to, to uh, Texas, as I said at the beginning, and uh, we got a chance to go to the Johnson Space Center. This is a place where uh, you see in the movies, Houston, we have a problem. That's the place. And uh, Johnny took the picture of uh, the spacesuit, one of the spacesuits that has actually been used, worn in a, in, in a mission. And you know, spacesuits are incredibly, incredibly made, and, and they're, they're amazing pieces of technology. Spacesuits have different capabilities, and, and, and some of them is that they offer protection in space. They offer protection from, from uh, space particles that fly at faster than bullets. So can you imagine a, an astronaut out there and then something's flying? Well, the space suits protect them from that. Also protects them from the UV rays and, and, and the heat and the cold. It is said that in the space could be as cold as minus 250 degrees and as hot as 250 degrees. So the space suits allows the, the astronauts to, to be protected from, from the weather and, and, and the crazy things in the, outside of the atmosphere in the vacuum of space. Also, spacesuits provide uh, uh, a system of life, a life system. It, it creates oxygen and, and, and keeps the body cool and provides water and, and uh, everything that happens after you drink water happens in that suit. It's amazing. Amazing what those suits do. And, and some, some spacesuits have the ability to, to transport the, the, the astronauts in case they get unlatched from the space station or whatever craft they're up there on, it has thrusters that allows them to move to places. And when I was reading about the space suit, what they designed to do, it came to my head that all those technological advancements and all those capabilities mean nothing if inside there's not an astronaut. So I'm coming back to the way we started. We could do a lot of things, a lot of things even in the name of God. Spend a lot of money, a lot of effort, time, but it won't mean a thing if God is not in it. And today, we have a chance. We have a chance to reconnect with God in a special way. Because if we didn't do it last year, this year, let's make a difference. Let's make it our goal that God may fill the house. That the presence of God be so, so real and, and so tangible in our lives that he, he is the one leading and controlling. And He is the one guiding us so that we can do our part, so that we can know our place, so that we can seek to change and become more like Jesus. And may our prayers be prayers that are sincere and from the heart. Prayers that God answers. Let's pray. Father, today we are about to celebrate one of the most important ceremonies that you left us to perform. Because we will be reminded of the power of salvation.
we'll be reminded of the sacrifice that a God who loves unconditionally can only do. And Father, as we do it today, help us to acknowledge that it is because of you, not because of us. Help us, Lord, to, to, to be moved in such a way that, that, that we don't long to remain the same, but on the other hand, that we strive to be more like Jesus every, every time. And Father, that when, when we participate of the emblems, may we be reminded that we have a purpose. And that our purpose is not defined by what we do on earth, but is defined by our connection with heaven. May your presence fill not only this place, but fill each one of our hearts. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.